Welcome to C3 San Diego. Need something fresh, real, and powerful in your life? Connect with us on social media, get live stream service notifications, podcasts, and up-to-date information on upcoming events. We are so glad you're joining us for a powerful, life-transforming message from one of our C3 San Diego pastors. We would love to hear about how God is impacting your life through this ministry. Please share your experience with us at info at c3sandiego.com. If you'd like to be a part of what C3 Church is doing in the city of San Diego and beyond, you can contribute financially by going to c3give.com and choosing the giving option that works best for you. We hope you enjoy this message. Amen. How awesome is it to be in church? That's my favorite song. I've been playing it so much, my little daughter knows all the words off by heart. So how awesome is that? Hey, stay standing. Lift your hands high to heaven. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would visit with us tonight. Lord, we haven't just come into a building. We haven't just come into a place called the church. But Father, we've assembled as the church to have a fresh encounter with a very, very real, very, very living God. Speak through your servant, I pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Give two or three people a high five. Tell them they are really, really ridiculously good looking. Could we also welcome all the way from Texas, the beautiful Moros, Greg and his beautiful bride. Can we welcome these guys, are literally the right hand for uh, Dr. Morris Sorello. And uh, you're gonna be hearing a little more about their world conference coming up first week of January 2018, right here in San Diego is gonna be amazing. So we're gonna have all the, the brochures and the flyers and everything about that. But we're just so honored that you're here. We love you. His boy plays in the NFL and uh, magnificent young man. And last, last year made a pretty big sack, a pretty significant sack, didn't he? And it was on national TV, and they were all talking about him. And uh, But uh, beautiful, God-fearing family and just uh, amazing. We love you guys. God bless you. So great to have you here. And can we also just take another second just to thank all of our veterans, all of our veterans. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love our veterans. Come on. Let me just say this. We say this to the, our kids all the time that because uh, quite often Zoe is on a little countdown clock, how many sleeps till Christmas. And uh, one of the things that uh, mum always says is you guys have Christmas pretty much every day. You have Christmas pretty much every day. And uh, the, the truth is, I honestly believe that we should make it Veterans Day every time we see a vet. If you're ever in Starbucks and there's a vet in line, buy their coffee if you're at a restaurant and you see someone in uniform pay for their dinner if you see a, a vet on the plane and you got a better seat give him your seat I, I honestly I honestly don't believe that we can honor enough the culture of the kingdom of God is honor the, the culture of the kingdom of heaven is honor you find it's quite quite an amazing thing that the father honors the son the Son honors the Father. They honor the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit honors. There's just this honor amongst the Trinity. And uh, we would have less crime if there was more honor. 
if 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 we understood the power of honor and the the culture of the kingdom of heaven is honor the culture of the kingdom of darkness is dishonor satan is the is the master of dishonor he starts with god dishonoring god can you really trust god he knows the day you eat off that tree you'll be just like him no he immediately just starts with dishonor everything he does is dishonorable and uh can i just tell you honor is less says less about the person you're honoring and it says more about you king david king david was anointed by samuel it was interesting because you know samuel comes into the house and he's never met david he's just this teenage kid all that Samuel knows is God said to him, Arise, go to Jesse, the Bethlehemite's house. One of his sons is going to be king. So he gets there and, and uh, Jesse pulls out his seven sons. When he sees Eliab, he says, Oh, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. And God says, Don't, don't look at him. I've refused him. Man looks on the outward appearance. I look at the heart. He looks good on the outside. Heart's not right. They, God had said to him, I've chosen a man after my own heart. There's a man whose qualities... They're not external, they're internal. And so they make all seven sons and not one. Of, and so he says, man, are, are you, I, I'm sure I heard from God. One of your sons, but is this it? And he says, well, there is one more out in the field. Bring him in. We won't rest until. And as soon as they bring him in, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samuel. And he fills his horn with oil. And he goes and he pours it over David's head. And he prophesies and he declares, David is anointed to be king of Israel. So it's one thing to get a great prophecy. It's another thing to be, you know, kind of... Uh, elevated amongst your brothers or recognize that you got a heart after God but the journey from that anointing to the actual throne was 13 years and it wasn't just 13 years it was 13 years of hell because as soon as Saul hears that David is the successor not his son Jonathan Saul goes after David to try and wipe him off the map in fact David is living in caves hiding in the wilderness you have no idea how many sleepless nights David is shivering in the back of a cave because he can't light a fire because it would light up where he is. It would give away his location and the 3,000 plus assassins that Saul has sent into the, into the countryside to hunt him down like a dog and murder him are looking. They're looking for a sign and he's shivering thinking, my God, what on earth? I've done nothing wrong. I killed Goliath. I'm anointed to be king. How is this? How is this? And then the Bible says there came a day where David was hiding in a cave and they, were, they almost had him trapped. And then into the cave of all people walks his enemy, King Saul. And the Bible says Saul comes in to relieve himself. And David's there with his mighty men behind a rock. And they say to him, the Lord has delivered the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. Strike him this day and the kingdom's yours. Strike him this day and the throne is yours. Now here's the truth. Here's the truth. If David would have killed Saul, there is not a court in this land. In fact, there's not a court in this world that would have condemned David. It was, it was self-defense. Saul was on a hunting expedition to kill David. If David would have killed Saul, Every single court in this country or around the world would have dismissed it as self-defense. Here's the thing about David. David did not live for the approval of the courts of men. David did not live for the approval of the courts of men. And so the Bible says David went behind and he cut out just the back of Saul's garment. 
and as Saul left the cave, David pursued after him, bowed with his face to the ground and called out, My Lord, King Saul, this day the Lord delivered you into my hand, but far be it from me that I should strike the Lord's anointed. Far be it from me. Saul was aghast and he said to David, Truly you are more honorable than me. And Saul departed. Here's the thing. God saw in David a heart that would honor when he was dishonored. David was honor able, honorable. So therefore God was able to honor him. Honor always elevates. Honor always, when you honor somebody, you elevate them, you lift them up. But you have no idea because there is a law in the universe. I first learned this from beautiful Mama Clark, Mama Lynette Clark. It's called the law of reciprocity. I think it was your first ever tithe message I ever heard you do in C3. You spoke on the law of reciprocity. The law of reciprocity is if you judge, you'll be judged. If you show mercy, you'll be shown mercy. If you give, it'll be given to you. If you give honor, you find honor flows back to you. The devil's a liar. Do you know why there's so much chaos and so much miserable people in our society today? Because the spirit of dishonor has gripped people. All they do is they dishonor, they dishonor, they dishonor, they dishonor, they dishonor. Let's make a decision as a church. We're not just going to honor our vets on Veterans Day. We're going to honor. We're going to honor people that pull on the uniform. We're going to... We're going to honor people that put on the uniform because we know that freedom isn't free. Somebody paid for the freedom we enjoy. And uh, I'd rather be accused of being over grateful and over honoring than not honoring enough. Somebody say amen. Amen. Speaking of honor, can we just thank the musicians and the singers? You guys can take a break. You've worked so hard. Fantastic. Is that Jolie Piper in the drums? How many people love Jolie Piper in the drums? <laughs> He's like Animal from the Muppets, but without the hair, isn't he? <laughs> come on, we're just going to need to get a big mop on you. Amen. Hey, come with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. P Psalms. P Psalms. P-S-A. I still wonder why it was called P Psalms. P Psalms. But anyway, there it is. P Psalms. Psalm 2. We're in a series at the moment called the Truth Series. Oh, no, it's called uh, Truth Wars. Sorry, Truth Wars. Who's enjoying Truth Wars? Wow, you guys are much more keen than the Salvians this morning. Only about a third of the hands went up when I asked that. I think they're like, oh, you know, too much pain or something in the, in the truth wars. But uh, truth's a good thing to preach on. And if the church doesn't preach the truth, you, we got nowhere else to go. The church is the last bastion to tell you the truth, to represent God, to represent what's right and wrong. So, uh, so the title of my message today is The Ten. The Ten. The Ten. So come with me, uh, Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a powerful psalm. Psalm 1 is, there's 150 psalms. Psalm 1 is the psalm that encapsulates all 150 psalms. All 150 psalms are encapsulated by the first psalm. The first psalm is, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands not in the path of sinners, sits not in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law. He meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree 
planted by rivers of water. He brings forth his fruit in season. His leaf does not wither. Everything that man does shall prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff blown away by the wind. So you see that there's, there's, a, uh, there's a regression. And at the same time as there's a regression in him, there's an aggression in, in wickedness. The Bible says that, that he, at first he's walking, but now he, he walks with the counsel of the ungodly. What that does now is cause him to stand and ponder sin. Now he's standing in the path of sinners, pondering, do I go down that way? And then it finishes with him no longer walking, no longer standing. He is now seated. He's taken up residence. He's seated in the seat of the scornful. I've got to tell you, uh, life's too short to be scorned. The Bible says all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. All the days of the afflicted. You don't want to live in the, the realm of the afflicted. You want to live in the place where you've got a merry heart. The people who have a merry heart have a continual feast. Pastor Leanne says it's so brilliant. She says, you know, if somebody tell, tells you that they don't like me, don't tell me. I just want to happily go on believing everybody loves me. And uh, he who has a merry heart has a continual feast. Sometimes I think Christians, uh, you know, we've got to tell you I was really offended with you. I hated you for nine years. I even made a little doll. With your clothes, they got some white jeans like you wear, Pastor. And I got pins and I would stab it right in the face every week. But I want you to know I've forgiven you, kind of. <laughs> I was like, well, what? You know, I thought we were friends. It's like, you know, that was just Pastor Tom. And uh, that wasn't Tom. He didn't say that. He said blue jeans. And But Psalm 2, Psalm 2 is the psalm that basically God gives us a, a, a bird's eye window in the spirit that we're going to deal with in this world. So the first psalm tells us about all 150 psalms. But the second psalm tells us the spirit that is the backdrop or, or the engaging context of all the psalms. So have a look at what it says in, in verse 1 to 3. It says this, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords away from us. The kings of the earth, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords away from us. The, the, the world doesn't just hate God it hates God because it hates his laws over the last decade we've seen schools in America now you need to understand when when American schools were founded they said there should only be one book that is a, a mandatory textbook and it's the word of God it's the word of God that that was that was what they said today this book is forbidden from schools but over the last decade, we've seen an increase in you can teach Zen Buddhism, you can teach Confucianism, you can teach Islam, you can teach all these other religions, just not Judeo-Christianity. You can't teach Judaism and you can't teach Christianity because all the other religions give you permission for your vices. None of the, none of the other other ones have constraints on your vices. It's only the Judeo-Christian teaching that actually reigns in and says that things that are wrong ought to be wrong. And so, so they reject God because they hate his commands. 
Now, let me just tell you something about God's laws. God's laws are essential. Our entire legal system, entire judiciary system is built on the Ten Commandments. Every single law that we have is pretty much based on the Ten Commandments. We, we need God's laws. Let me tell you something else about God's laws. God's laws are impartial. God's laws are impartial, which means that God does, it doesn't matter. There's equality in God's law. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, doesn't matter what race, creed, tribe, religion, doesn't matter your ethnicity, your background, God's law is, is equal. Whether you're a rich person that breaks God's law or whether you're a poor person, the, the law will, 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 will speak for itself. If you, if you keep the law, the law will bless you and do you good. Doesn't matter about your background. So the law is, the law is neutral. Now let me tell you something else about God's law. The truth is that you and I can't break God's law. We can't actually break God's laws. All that we can do is break ourselves against them. For example, if I, if I was to step off a building, I don't break the law of gravity. The law of gravity breaks me. It's the same with the Word of God. So that's why it is so important for you and I to be in the house of God because the understanding of God's law, that's what it says. Blessed is man who walks not, stands not, sits not. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night because there are things in the law that will set you up to prosper. God said to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to meditate in my law day and night. Do not let it depart for then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. So you will find in this life, the law will actually empower you to victorious living. Understanding God's law. So let me just do a little test with you tonight. Let's see how many of the Ten Commandments you might know. Does anybody know the first commandment? Anybody know the first commandment? So yeah, love the Lord your God. In other words, let's throw it up there. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me, but love me completely, totally. No other gods before me, love me totally and only. That's the first one. All right, does anybody know the second command? Summer? Honor your father and mother, close. That is number five. The second commandment, no graven images, no graven images. Thou shalt have no graven images of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the sea below. That's the second commandment. We're going to jump on this one out of the 10 in a moment and you're going to see why it is so powerful and why it is so wise that God put that in there, no graven images. Does anybody know numero tres, por favor? Number three, the third one. Very good, Alex. Do not use the, the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It's, it's still, it still amazes me. Nobody that kicks their toe goes, oh, Porter. <laughs> Nobody kicks their toe. Oh, Confucius. It's amazing. There's only one name that is blasphemed. There's only one name that, anyway. So that's number three. Number four. Does anybody know numero cuatro, number four? No, that's number five. Number four is the Sabbath. Well done. You, sh you shall keep the Sabbath holy. In other words, God says, six days I worked on the seventh I rested. God doesn't need to rest. Because God doesn't need to rest, He rested because God always leads by example. Leadership is always example. God knows for you and I who do need rest that we can easily get consumed with the next deal or the next assignment or, or this promotion or getting this contract and, and we can making money or making ends meet or whatever else and you'll end up losing your marriage, losing your health, losing your family, losing the respect of your children. Nobody on their deathbed ever said, man, I wish I spent more time in the office. 
I wish I spent more time away from my wife and family and friends pursuing endless deals. Nobody ever says that. So God knows that you need to have a day where you disconnect from all you're doing. Where you disconnect from all you're doing and you come into the house of God and you allow your soul and you allow your spirit to again engage with the living God and you hear teaching from His Word. When this Word goes forward, it's like embers that go into your, into your soul that are just glowing. And then when, when the wind of the Holy Spirit begins to blow on those embers, you'll begin to reignite the fire of God. When the fire of God burns on the inside of you, it burns that which is impure, but it burns that which is, it begins to fuel that which is pure, that which is holy, that which is awesome, that, that which is from God. It begins to, to fire up in your life. In this world, people burn with all kinds of fires. Some people burn with lust. Some people burn with anger. Some people burn with hostility. Some people burn with, with aggression. Some people burn with animosity. Some people burn with bitterness. They burn with all the wrong fires. God doesn't want you. A fire in the fireplace can warm up the house. The kids can play in front of it. You can sit there and, and read a book and, and everybody is, is, is uh, full of joy and happy in front of the fireplace that's got the fire heating the house. But if that fire wasn't in the fireplace, if it was in the curtains, if it was in the wall, if it was in the ceiling or in the floors, you better get out of that house because it may be the same fire, but it's going to burn the house down. It's going to bring destruction. It's amazing how many people allow the devil to light fires in areas that there should be no fire there. God wants you to burn with the right fire when you come into the house of God on a Sunday, six days, you will find yourself burning with the right fire, dreaming the dreams of God. Somebody say amen. So keep the Sabbath. Number five is the one that, uh, that we've heard. Honor your mother and father that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. And let me just tell you something right here. There are 10 commandments. My personal belief is that it wasn't five on one tablet of stone and five on the other. It was actually four on one and six on the other. The reason I believe that is because the first four have to do with God. The last six have to do with man. The first four have to do with God. The last six have to do with man. This is quite interesting as a student of uh, biblical numerology because six is the number of man. Six is the number of man and four is the number of the earth. And so God was the creator of heavens and the earth and he governs and rules over the earth and he is exalted over the earth and the earth should give him glory. So that's why the first four. And so Moses came down four and six. And so number five is honor thy mother and father. Does anyone want to know what number uh, six is? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. Number seven, thou shalt not kill. Number eight, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number nine, thou shalt not covet. Number 10, thou shalt not bear false witness. These are the 10 commandments. And uh, th these are the Ten Commandments that, that are known as the law of God. The law does three things, if you're still tracking with me. The law does three things. The first thing it does is it provides a lens through which we see God. It provides a lens through which we see God. Had God not revealed Himself, you and I would have no way of knowing who He is. It's like, it's like hoping that an ant will discover nuclear fusion. Impossible. You and I would have no way of knowing who God is unless He had revealed Himself. The second thing that the, the law does is it, uh, it produces or it reveals identity. 
as, as you begin to look into the law of God, you'll begin to see not only your potential, but you begin to recognize where you're at. You begin to see deficits between where you are and where you can be or where you ought to be. It, it, it's a revealer of identity. And the third one is that the law of the Lord shapes character. Now, I always know when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, because he tells me things that I know are too brilliant for me to come up with on my own. So when I was writing this, I said, okay, well, that's interesting. Character I says, uh, what's your definition of character? And the Holy Spirit said to me, character is that you will thrive within community. Character is that you will thrive within community. A lot of people want to thrive, but they don't understand it's character that enables you to thrive within community. Community needs character. For, for example, if my goal was to, to make a lot of money and I cut corners and I, I rip people off and, and I, I don't deliver, after a while, I'm going to get a negative reputation. People, nobody, nobody is happy with being used and abused or burnt and mistreated. And so after a while, my, my, I'm going to find my, my, my business is going to begin. But, but if, I, if I install a product into your home and it doesn't work or it's broken or something, and then I come and I replace it and I repair it and, and at my own expense, not to you, and, and then I reimburse you for any damages, then you're going to say, man, you know what? Even though he put in a product that didn't work, but man, I've got to love that after-sales service. Man, they came, they fixed it at their own cost, at their own expense. You're going to recommend me to something that's called character. Character is the ability to follow through. Character is, the Bible says that a man's reputation should be valued more than great and precious riches. So character is something that's going to cause you to thrive within community. Unfortunately, character is something that's gone by the wayside. When I was little and I went to school, uh, we used to have story time. And at the end of the story, they'd tell us the moral to the story. You know, the teacher would actually ask, what's the moral to the story? Oh, oh, miss, um, if you lie and scream, wolf, wolf, after a while, no one will believe you. And then when a wolf comes, so, so we learned the moral to the story. Today, we live in an age where uh, we, we no longer have morals to the story because morals are seen as evil. Morals are seen as invasive, that you, that you shouldn't force your morals on somebody else. And we live in a moral vacuum, moral re relativity. Uh, the reason this is important is because the devil does not want morals. Because morals produce character, and character causes you to thrive in community. He doesn't want communities that thrive. He wants communities that, that, that kill each other, that, the communities of chaos. So the devil knows if he gets rid of morals, if he demoralizes... A community, then we have a community that is demoralized. Demoralized, if you look it up in the dictionary, means to be without courage, to be completely vanquished, to be shut down without hope. When someone is demoralized, it means that they have no hope, they have no strength, they have no resource, they have no, no reservoir to draw from. The devil knows that the strength of your soul is in the morals that you adhere to. So he works his darndest to demoralize. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he didn't give them to us to harm us. He gave us a revelation. So let's have a look at these three in the seven minutes that we've got left. Oh, Jesus, help me. All right, number one. The first one is the lens. The lens. In Exodus 3.14, one of my favorite scriptures... Uh, God says to Moses, he's going to send him to Pharaoh and then he's going to send him to the Israelites who are trapped in Egypt. And he's going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he's going to tell the, uh, the Israelites, good news, God sent me to deliver you. So Moses says, well, hang on a minute. Uh, who do I tell the Israelites? 
because I haven't seen him for 40 years. Who do I tell them has sent me? What is your name? What's your name? And God's response is, God said to Moses, I am who I am, he said. Thus you shall say to Israel, I am has sent you. Now, how many people know that this does not help Moses? When he gets to the people, he says, God has sent me. They're like, uh, what's his name? I am who I am. Like, I don't think that's his name. That does not sound like a name. It sounds like a statement. The reason that God says this is because God is teaching Moses. Mo Moses is about to reveal to humankind the nature and the character of God. So when Moses says, what's your name? God says, kind of good question. I am who I am. In other words, Moses, you were named when you were pulled from the, the Nile River. Your name means drawn out. Pharaoh's daughter named you Moses, meaning drawn out. I did not have a mama that named me. I had no mama and no papa. I am before all things. I'm the beginning of all things. Nobody named me. And let me tell you something else, Moses. Nobody can classify me. There is not a scientist. There is not an astrologer. There is nobody who can define me. There is nobody who can catalog or categorize me. I am beyond description. I defy explanation. I'm not a math problem that you can solve. I'm not a physics puzzle that, 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 needs, that needs assembly or put together. I am who I am. By me, all things are defined. You can only discover me as I choose to reveal myself. Nobody named me. Nobody classified me. Nobody defined me because I am who I am. And that order, that order, be an answer that in that that draws out inquiry within you. And you should say, my God, you are who you are, but who are who you are and cause you to draw near. It wouldn't be long to, until Moses is up on a mountain and Moses begins to see the glory of God and God begins to reveal to Moses and he shows Moses the Ten Commandments as a lens to show him that God is holy. The word holy in the Hebrew means totally unique unlike anything else. The God that you and I serve is totally unique. He is unlike anything else. So the first one is lens. The second one is identity. Identity, let's go back and look at the second commandment found in Exodus 20 verse four. Exodus 20 verse four, the second commandment, it, it says this. It says, you shall make, not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is on, in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Now watch this. Thou shalt not make any graven image. You, you and I may even think, well, what's the harm in kind of, you know, making a little statue or making a little something say, hey, this is kind of, you know, what we kind of perceive. This is kind of like our perception of what God is like, whether it's of wood or whether it's stone or, or even out of, you know, precious minerals or gold. God says you are not to make any graven image of anything that you've seen in heaven, seen on the earth or in the ocean. The reason that God says this is because he understands that the second commandment is intrinsic to the most powerful thing in this life and that is the discovery of your identity. The discovery of your identity. And the reason this is so important is because God does not want you to be replaced by wood, stone or even gold. 
because the Bible teaches that you and I are his image bearers in the earth you and I are his image bearers and God says I don't want you to shape an image saying this image represents God because that wood and that stone and that gold does not represent God you are the walking you are the living you are the breathing image bearer of the Almighty God now watch this if you study the nations you'll find that every nation that is steeped in idolatry has one common denominator. In every single one of these nations that has idolatry, prolific in its culture, has one common denominator, and that is the devaluation of human life. Because when you start setting up idols and saying, this is the image of God, that you and I are not the image of God, it always reduces, it always diminishes the value of human life. If you go to Cambodia or Vietnam or Thailand, these places, you'll find the parents sell their children into prostitution because the value of human life is so low. When you look throughout the world, every nation, whether it's India, with all the nations that are steeped in idolatry, you will find that the oppression of people is so low because you and I are the image bearers of God. One of Satan's great big lies is that the church should not evangelize, that we shouldn't go and enforce our religion on other people, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't go to these, these nations. And the devil does it because the devil's a liar because he knows if you and I bring the truth that, that these are false idols, that these are false idols, that you are made in the image and the likeness of God, the oppression must stop because I can't defraud and I can't prostitute and I can't treat somebody like that when I recognize they are made in the image and the likeness of God. (laughs) Joseph Stalin, Joseph Stalin made an idol of the state, made an idol of communistic atheism. And so a little 10-year-old boy is brought to him who stole a potato because all the communism and socialism does is spreads poverty equally. It has never ever succeeded. It sounds awesome to attack the rich and say everybody ought to have their fair share and their fair go. It has never happened. God gives us equal opportunity. Anyway, and so, so Joseph Stalin finds a 10 year old boy who has stolen a potato. He knows he has to make an example of this 10-year-old boy. This is history and fact. So what they do is they take this 10-year-old boy who stole a potato to, to feed his family because of the widespread poverty. So they break his left femur. Then they break his right femur. It's still not enough. So they then snap his pelvis on the left hand side and on the right hand side. And then they send him up to the gulags of Siberia where he gets to minus 40 below zero. His, his, his legs and, and pelvis heels so buckled and crippled that he literally walks along the ground on his hands and knees like a crab, scavenging for crumbs until he eventually dies. You can only treat another human being. You can only treat a 10-year-old boy like that when you have completely dismissed the God of the Scriptures, when you have completely dismissed that man is created in the image and the likeness of God. Adolf Hitler coined the term untermenschen. Unter mention, unter is sub or under, mention is humans, because his, his, uh, his mandate to bring the final solution 
which would ultimately cost six million Jews their lives. But it wasn't just Jewish people that died. It was also gypsies. It was also what, also what they, they uh, called useless eaters. It was those who were born with defects. It was those who were born with uh, mental retardation or disabilities that they, they were also murdered because he believed that they were subhuman. In other words, they weren't human. They were subhuman. So, so he was able to justify through propaganda that, hey, we ought to kill these people because they're not, they're not human. They're, they're just below. This has happened for thousands of years. In fact, right now in our schools in America, this book has been replaced by Charles Darwin's The Origin of the Species. Problem. You have been lied to. You've been told that the title of the book is The Origin of the Species. That's not the title. The title is The Origin of the Species and Its Preferred Races. Because it, Charles Darwin believed that he, being part of the white bourgeoisie aristocracy, the white man has fully evolved, but the black man has not fully evolved. Therefore, this is all in The Origin of the Species. They just don't tell you in high school. Therefore, it is incumbent upon the white man who was fully evolved and is favored by natural selection to actually have the domicile duties distributed to the black man who has not quite. It. And we wonder why there are racist because we're teaching, we're teaching a book other than the scriptures, other than the Bible to, to our young people. Because every time there's oppression, you have to come up, you have to form a line. Thank God we live in a nation where somebody in the time of slavery formed and wrote down a constitution that said all men are created, not evolved. All men are created equal and endowed with certain inalienable rights. In other words, they're given rights that are inalienable, unable to be taken away by people. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice. All men are created equal. So we, 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 we live in this war. We live in this, this rage. The whole argument of abortion. Any abortionist will tell you that it's not a, it's not a life. It's just a, it's just a mass of cells. Well, why don't you have a look at this sonogram? I don't want to look at the sonogram. Because the truth will expose... The bankruptcy of my theory, science proves that life begins at conception. But I have to make them an untermension. I have to make them subhuman in order for me to oppress, in order for me to exterminate, in order for me to exploit, or in order for me to... The, the, devil, the devil goes after identity more than anything else. The reason he goes after identity is because he knows that the discovery of your identity is the unlocking of your destiny. The discovery of your identity is the unlocking of your destiny. Why do we have pathways in our church? Connect, grow, serve, lead. Why do you have uh, an internship program? Everything that we do, all our preaching, all our systems, all our structures has one agenda. And that agenda is for you to discover your identity. For you to see God and see who God says that you are. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Simon turns as you're the Christ, the son of the living God. When he sees Jesus for who he is, watch what Jesus now does. Jesus now shines the mirror and he says, I say to you, Simon, that you are Peter. 
You were named Simon by mama and papa. And all your life you tried to fit in. But I say to you that you are not Simon. You are Peter. And you were never meant to fit in. You were meant to stand out. The great travesty of our teenage generation is they spend all their time on Facebook, social media, trying to fit in. You weren't created to fit in. You were created to stand out. When God made you, he said, outstanding. What an outstanding. There's only one of you walking around. But the devil knows that the day that you discover your identity, it's the unlocking of your destiny. Watch, I'll show you. Moses, Moses, I've, I've seen and I've heard the cry of my children Israel, and I've come down to deliver them. You're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to command him, let my people go. And there is nothing that Pharaoh was able to do. God even speaks to him, Moses, Moses. Moses' name means drawn out, drawn out. So he says, drawn out, drawn out. This is what's going to happen, drawn out. He says, your destiny is tied to your identity. Your name is drawn out because I'm going to anoint you. And when I anoint you, it's like you're going to become magnetized. And then I'm going to take this magnet and I'm going to take it in and I'm going to put it in the very, very depths, in the very bowels of Egypt. And Pharaoh, whose grip has been on my people for 400 years, the magnetization of the anointing and the power on your life will be so great that all the powers of Egypt will shrivel before it and you will draw out from Egypt every single one of my people. Over a million Israelites will leave Egypt because of the power of drawn out. Moses means drawn out. You will take them out. But when Moses hears this, he says, who am I? Who am I that I should? In other words, God is speaking destiny. But Moses responds with identity. Who am I? When God comes to Gideon, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Have I not sent you? God is speaking destiny. But Gideon responds, who am I? That I should indeed, I'm the least of my father's house. My father's house is the least in our clans. Our clans is the least in our tribes. And our tribe is the least of all the tribes. He responds with identity. The devil never wants you to discover your identity because he wants to hijack your destiny. He knows the day that you begin to discover who you are. You only discover who you are when you awaken to the moment of whose you are. When you realize whose you are, everything begins to shift. Simba, everything the light touches. What about the shadow? You must never go there, Simba. That's beyond our borders. So Simba goes there, takes Nala with him. Pinji again. Oh, only the bravest lions go there. It's an elephant graveyard. I mean, it's a magnificent story, but it's all on identity. I don't know how Hollywood comes up with this stuff. To take over the kingdom, I've got to kill the father and his only son. I've read that somewhere before. It escapes me. So the plot is to get rid of them both. Mufasa dies and little Simba's. And then Scar comes along. Oh, Simba, what have you done? Uncle Scar, I didn't mean for this to happen. I mean for any of this to happen. Oh, Simba, nobody means for these things to happen. But the king is dead. And it is all your fault. What shall I do, Uncle Scar? Run, Simba. Run far away and never come back. So we know where Simba goes. He goes to Akuna Matata land. 
It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Now, we think the Aussies came up with no worries, mate. Flat out like a lizard drinking, no worries, mate. Fair dinkum, no worries, mate. But I've got to tell you, it wasn't just the Aussies. Now, they may have been the first there, but you talk to most young people, their goal is to have a life of no worries. Oh, I just want to lie in a hammock and sip martinis. Can I just tell you, you weren't created for a life of no worries. Simba is in Akuna Matata land eating berries and grubs. He's a lion's cub eating berries and grapes. You'll always know when you're in Akuna Matata land because what you feed on neither nourishes nor satisfies. It neither nourishes nor satisfies. Can I just tell you, you weren't created for a life of no worries laying in a hammock. You were created to overthrow the cords and the bands of injustice. You were created to live an adventure. You were created to bring down dictatorship. You were created to overthrow wickedness and darkness. You were created to walk into a dark world and turn on the light. You were created for a revolution. You were created to bring hope. You were created to defeat an enemy. You were created to win a great battle. You weren't created to just have a life of no worries. But one day, PNG again. Simba, Narla, we thought you were dead. You should see what's happened to the Pride Land. It's terrible. Uh, Scar made a pact with the hyenas. It is gone. You got to come back. Oh, I can't go back. Why not? You don't understand what's happened. You don't understand what's in my past. The devil. The devil is a devaluer. Did you know that? How do I know this? You read in Genesis. In Genesis, when when uh, Joseph is taken by his brothers and thrown into a pit. The first thing they do, the Bible says, is they strip him of his robe. The robe that he wore was the, the robe of his father's favor. It was a multicolored tunic that said he's the favorite. They couldn't stand it and they had to strip him. The devil knows that you are, you are easy pickings. If you're sitting here tonight and you don't believe that you're God's favorite, you're easy pickings. You're easy pickings. Oh, you're easy pickings. If you were the only person ever to sin, Jesus would have still left heaven and hung on a cross to save you. That's how valuable you are. If that's hard to believe that you've got too much of the lies of the devil in your head, if you were the only person, if you were the only one ever to sin, he still would have made his way from heaven. He still would have picked up that cross. He still would have gone to the top of the hill. He still would have stretched out his hand and he still would have hung on that cross just to save you. That's how valuable you are. The first thing they do, they strip him of his robe, the Father's favor, but that's not enough. That's not enough just to strip him. The next thing they do is they sell him to the Ishmaelites. 20 pieces of silver is the price of a slave. He watches the title deed. He watches the stamp and the transaction, the signal ring as it goes into the hot wax and then is stamped on the document, sealing that his worth is now that of a slave. The devil wants you to believe that you're a slave, that you're no greater than a slave. You're a slave to your past. You're a slave to your mistakes. You're a slave to your habits. You're a slave to your addictions. You're a slave to your sin. You're a slave to your appetites. The devil does not want you to believe that you're the father's favor. He wants you to believe that you're just a slave. But Joseph never believes it. 
The transaction was there. The documents are there. The writing is there. He just never receives it into his heart. When they put him in part of his house, he does not behave like a slave. He operates with dignity, with honor. He's then falsely accused and thrown into a prison. But even in the prison, he refuses to adopt a slave mentality. And in the prison, he operates with dignity. He operates with honor. And he ends at the right hand of Pharaoh because he always believed that he had the Father's favor. And though it didn't come from his earthly father, he knew it came from his heavenly father. The Bible says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him in part of his house. The Lord was with him in the prison. In the Old Testament, God was only with those who drew near to him. In the Old Testament, God says, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Joseph kept drawing near to God, drawing near to God. And because of that, God was with him. God was with him. So the enemy knows that if you discover your identity, you'll discover your destiny. If he can just diminish your value, if he can just take that away, he can destroy your life. But the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. The reason we have church every week is because we want to get this word onto the inside of you to begin to awaken your soul to begin to stir your spirit and your mind and your understanding to comprehend that when God made you, He did not make a mistake. And the reason that you don't fit in is because you were never meant to. You're always meant to stand out. Nimrod-shaped bricks. Every brick is uniform, exactly the same. But the Bible says that you and I are not bricks. The Bible says you and I are living stones. You and I are living stones. You know what a stone is? Each stone is unique. And it's polished and shaped to fit together. But every single one of them is unique, different size, different weight, different girth. Every single one of us is unique. God is shaping you. In this house, God is shaping you. But what He doesn't take away is your individuality. You are who you are. What you bring to the table is so important. Your personality is so important. Your character is so important. I can't finish this, unfortunately. But you are God's image bearers in the earth. God has got a plan and a purpose for your life. We are, de we are determined in this house that every single one of you, we don't just see you as parishioners. We don't see you as church attendees. We see you as the most magnificent men and women in this city that God has got a destiny, that God has got an identity that He wants to reveal and unlock. And I'm telling you, the devil rued the day. He knew, he knew that a, mus a, a deliverer was coming to Egypt. So he made it a law. He said, rather than deal with the harvest of a destiny, if I can just kill the seed of identity. So he made it a law to throw every baby into the Nile, every baby thrown into the Nile and drowned. He thought, ha, 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 they'll never have a deliverer because I'll drown them before they raise up. I'll drown them before they discover who they are. I won't have to deal with their destiny if I just take away their identity. But one little baby, just one, just a little three-month-old was put in a little ark and pushed down. And, and Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter comes. Oh, look, it's a little helpless baby. Oh, please, Daddy, can I keep him? Oh, please, I promise I'll feed him, please. And Pharaoh's like, well, we've got a law that we... Oh, God, you can't. Look at him, he's so cute. All right, what harm is one little baby? God's in heaven going, uh-huh. I think when I come to deliver the world, I'll come as a baby. That one little baby grew up 
to discover his identity and unlock the greatest destiny. Nothing gives me greater joy than to see God beginning to reveal to these magnificent people their identity, their identity in who they are. At C3 Church, our mission and our mandate is for you to have a face-to-face -face encounter with Him and begin to discover who you are by understanding whose you are. And don't let the devil don't let the devil, he may have signed it, he may have stamped it, says this is who you are, you are an addict, you, this is who you are, you're a slave to your sin, this is who you are, you're a slave to you. Don't let the devil put a value on you. You say, no, 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 devil, I am my father's favorite. I am, even if I was the only one ever to sin, Jesus Christ would have still left the throne. He would have still come down. He would have still picked up the cross and he still would have died for me. That's how valuable I am to him. And I know that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it, that God's got a plan and a purpose for my life. I'm over time, I'm over time. Pastor Becky's never gonna invite me back to preach. I've gone so far over time. Would you just close your eyes and bow your head? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. Man, I feel the anointing in here. If you're here tonight, friend, you were meant to be here. It was a word for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Friend, the 32 years ago on a beach, I surrendered my life to Jesus. I've got to tell you, greatest thing I ever did. If you're here tonight, maybe you once walked with God, but for whatever reason, you slipped away, turned away, fell away, you're just away. Friend, would you come back? If you're here tonight and you know, my God, my, my life's not right. I, I feel trapped. I feel enslaved by sin, by addiction, by... Friend, I want to pray for you tonight. There's freedom here. Or maybe you're just here tonight and you're like, man, I've believed all the lies. I, even now, Pastor, I'm struggling to believe that anything that you're saying is true. Because when I look in the mirror, I just see broken. When I look in the mirror, I just see struggle. When I look in the mirror, I just see weakness. When I look into the mirror, I don't even like what I'm seeing. That's because when you look into the mirror, all you're seeing is your reflection. But if you'll just lift your eyes and look into Jesus' face, it is a much clearer mirror. When you look into Jesus' face, He'll show you who you are because you're made in His image. And in his life, in a mirror, you see your reflection. In his face, you for the first time see you. As I began to walk with God, the amount of times where he got me to look at him, when I saw him, he began to show me me. And if I was honest with you, my mind would say, oh, that can't be true. Oh, God, I'm, I'm damaged goods. Oh, God, man, I'm too much of a mess. Oh, God, I, that can't be. But the more I look into his face, the more he keeps revealing. The more I look into his the more he wants to draw you out. He wants to lift you up. And he wants to develop your great destiny. If you're here tonight and you're like, Pastor, you're speaking to me. I want to get my life right. If you're here tonight, you're saying, man, I'm away, but I need to come back. If you're here tonight, you're saying, man, you're talking about me. Tonight is my night. If that's you, would you quickly raise your hand and I'm going to see you and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you all over this building. Hands going up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, sweetie. Who else is there? Would you raise your hand? Thank you over there, Pastor. My life's not right. I need to get it right. Who else is there? Would you? Thank you. I see that hand in there. Thank you. Who else is there? Thank you, young man. I see your hand. Who else is there? I feel like there's somebody else. Somebody else, Pastor. My life's not right. Thank you. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you over there. I see your hand. Thank you. 
anybody else. I know I'm out of time, but I feel like this someone's just pounding on you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? I am out of time, but I, I, I'll wait 10 more seconds. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? I feel like there's someone right now, there's a struggle going on on the inside. Thank you up there. Thank you for pointing that out. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Struggle going on on the inside. And it's an identity struggle. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you. So many hands have gone up. Can we do this? I know we're just a couple of minutes over. Right now, we're about to enter the most sacred time. I'm going to ask you to do one thing for me. We haven't done this for a long time. It is a little bit of church training. The devil loves to put this thought in people's heads right around this time. If you sneak out now, you'll beat the traffic. But this is the most sacred time because literally people's destinies are changing from a lost eternity to paradise, from a lost eternity to forever in heaven, to everlasting life. So can I ask you to just not leave just for the next two minutes as people make their way to this altar. And in fact, if anything, could you champion and cheer with gusto? Right now, the angels are about to rejoice. Can we join in with them? So church, can we stand around? Thank you so much for joining us online. We hope you had a powerful experience. We want to take this time to personally help you navigate the next steps in becoming connected. If you made a decision for Christ today, need prayer, or want more information about our church, go to our website, c3sandiego.com. And if you didn't get a chance to give online during service and would like to contribute financially, you can go to c3give.com and click on the giving option that works best for you. We look forward to hearing from you. See you at church.